Hello, I'm Charlotte Hawkins and welcome to Last Past and Blast. Each week we'll delve into the musical lives and memories of a different guest and each guest will choose three pieces of music. Their last, the latest piece of classical music they've been listening to, their past, which is a significant piece of classical music from their life, and a blast. That's their wild card. So listen out for guilty pleasures with that one. Together we'll explore the way music has shaped their lives and what it means to them. And this week it's the season finale. Thanks so much to you for listening and don't forget if you've missed any of the guests so far, you can always listen back. I've loved every minute of it from finding out that Alexander Armstrong hosted a private pointless session for the Queen, to Mylene Class's in-car DJ wars with her family, and Piers Morgan playing the piano for Will Smith, and unfortunately for Will, singing to him as well. Well, in today's season finale episode, we're going out on a high, as I'll be speaking with Welsh mezzo-soprano Catherine Jenkins. We spoke about why her children tell her off for her singing, what she does if she ever forgets the words when she's performing, and the one tune that gets her family, the taffia as she calls them, up and dancing. Here's the episode. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. It's great to speak to you. It's lovely to speak to you too. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Well, listen, I am so pleased to have you because I am so in awe of your incredible singing. So it's great that you're joining me today. How have things been with you? Because it's been a strange few months, hasn't it? (laughs) I think it's been a strange few months for everybody, hasn't it? Yeah, I think we've been, you know, as a family trying to take this time as a positive. You know, we've not all been in the same Andrew and I have never been in the house together this many nights in a row. Try, you know, being around with the children all of this time has been sort of lovely. But of course, performing wise, you know, concerts have been moved back and tours to 2021 and 22. And, you know, I'm obviously really missing the audiences. I'm missing my orchestras. I'm missing the conductors I work with, my um, my conductor, Anthony Inglis, and, and the choirs. And so it's a worrying time. It's a worrying time for them, you know, in, in particular, because I work with so many talented people who are not only, you know, this is their job that pays the bills, but they're also performers and they're not getting the chance to be out there and do what they, what they love doing. And so I worry about the sector of everybody that works in live music and how it's affecting them financially and and mentally and I and I hope things will change soon. Because it is a worry isn't it as to whether we'll be able to get back to how things were, what things are going to look like in the future. It's just such uncertainty at the moment. I think you know we all want to be back performing for audiences and I think when I come back and do that very first show I mean, even thinking about it now, I feel like I would cry because it would be so emotional to be back with an audience. But I think at the same time, it has to be safe. And I think coming to a concert is should only be a positive and and joyful experience. And if you've got any concerns in your mind, then you're not going to enjoy it in the same way. So we want, I certainly want people to come to my concerts and just, you know, enjoy the enjoy the moment. I just hope it's not too long before we all feel like we're back in that place. I can imagine because I know that you've, you know, you've done lockdown concerts, haven't you? You've been wanting to keep people entertained, wanting to keep some of that live music going. I think it was it your mum who gave you the inspiration that you just wanted to give people some music at this difficult time. So my mum is, um, she just slipped into that 70s bracket and kept thinking of people like my mum who 
you know, on their own, probably, you know, a little bit lonely, a little bit scared, you know, just as we were going into the lockdown time. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do a concert on Facebook tonight. So I said to my husband, I'm going to do something on Facebook. He said, yeah, you should. <laughs> and we were totally expecting it to be, you know, a few hundred people. Uh, I had no idea that on that first one, we would sort of have, you know, I think it was something like 300,000 people came on wow. online to, to watch the show. <laughs> and I made a promise and I didn't know what was coming, but I just said, look, this has helped me get through a little bit of this time. How's about I just sing for you every week of lockdown? We'll all get together. We'll make this little community. And I had no idea, but it went on for, you know, 16 consecutive weeks. And as the weeks went on, you know, I started off in a very casual way, you know, just wearing something I would wear at home. And then I noticed I was being outdressed by my own audience as they sent me photos. So out came the dresses. Um, and my family got more and more involved because, you know, it was very much me doing everything, pressing the the backing tracks and and trying to set up the microphone, you know, well, actually it was actually just my iPhone, but setting it all up and bless them, they got more and more involved and it became a family event. And we're just so happy, I think, when we look back that we had a way of just, you know, I'm not in any way comparing myself to the amazing superheroes on the front line because I'll never be able to do what they did of getting people through. But I do think that in times like that, it, music just brings people together and there was a sense of community and, and, and we played a really, really small part, I hope, in just keeping people's spirits up. Well, I think it was a big thing for people, actually. I read the one that you did for residents of care homes that was live streamed into hundreds of care homes, which I think for them, when they're in a situation where they weren't able to see family, that contact with the outside world was cut off, it actually is the one thing, having a little sing-along that no doubt meant a great deal to them. Well, I just think singing is so good for the soul. And I think that's, you know, I found realizing how much of my emotion I process through music. My mum is a member of a choir and she, you know, not just sort of on a social aspect, but I think in sort of mindfulness, like she gets so much out of singing with other people. So it made sense really to take the idea of the Facebook concerts and then stream them into care homes, you know, where people could just sing together, feel united. United. And yeah, we did it in my in my back garden and it even rained on me. <laughs> but it was fine. It was a really lovely <laughs> carried on regardless. But you know what? It was a really lovely way of kind of spending the afternoon and doing something positive. What's the thing that you miss most? Because I really miss just it not being able to hug people. I find it really strange not having the same level of contact that you'd have with people, not seeing people. You know, when you have all those get togethers with families and friends and, and giving people a big hug, it's a strange world at the moment, isn't it? Well, I'm a hugger. So I find that like that is just I feel like I'm very cold when I meet people. Not to even be able to extend to a handshake is just feels really unfriendly. So I do find this all and also the fact that we're all wearing masks. It's very hard just to read half of somebody's face. So I do miss that kind of connection of meeting people, but you know. Again, I think safety is, has to be paramount, but I do wonder how it, inf how it affects things, you know, going forwards with things like concerts and meet and greets. Will we ever be able to do those again? I really hope so. I love meeting my fans and I, I would hate to think that we're going to have restrictions on things like that in the future. Mm. But how was it? I know you did that concert, didn't you, at the Royal Albert Hall in an empty Royal Albert Hall for VE Day, which must have felt 
so strange because, you know, it's such a magnificent venue, isn't it? And when you see it there all full of people, there's nothing like it. Was it quite an eerie experience standing there with, with no one there at all? When I look back at lockdown, I think that that will probably be my sort of standalone memory of the sort of most surreal experience of the whole thing. You know, I was so thankful that the Albert Hall approached me to do that because I was meant to be presenting the VE Day concert there. And then they obviously had to cancel it. And then they had this idea of, well, let's just still mark the occasion to the best of our ability. And you know, would you be interested in coming in and doing a behind closed doors performance? And I just thought it was an amazing idea because it was really important to still honor VE Day 75 and to put, you know, something on to mark that in a appropriate way. But to be driving into London in, in the absolute sort of central part of the lockdown, to have a skeleton crew working within the Albert Hall. You know, I've been there so many times. My children run up and down the aisles in, mm-hmm. in soundcheck. And yet I thought I would know what it felt like to be in there almost by myself. But you take away the orchestra and the choirs and, and that kind of thing. And it was just... I got to the end of the end of the performance and I actually had to look up because I suddenly was overwhelmed with emotion at the fact that like, wow, this isn't a sound check. These seats are empty for a reason. And, you know, wow, what what are we all going through here? And I sort of, you know, I look up and try and style it out that I'm actually taking in the the Albert Hall, but I was trying not to cry. (laughs) Oh, it must have felt quite overwhelming, I imagine, being hit then at that moment. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's again, I'm I'm just so thankful to have, you know, to have had that opportunity to do that. It never they'd they'd never done it before. And it's my favorite venue in the world. So to get to do something like that was was really, really special. And I think also just kind of, you know, looking now into where we are with arts and and the venues and, and how live music is sort of struggling. I think it's really important to keep supporting venues like that and shining a light on the struggles that they're facing as well. Definitely, especially at this time, it's it's really hard for all of them, isn't it? Before things start to reopen again and we see live music, live performances come back. How worried were you on a personal level about getting ill, about the possibility of, of catching coronavirus? Because presumably for you with your voice, it could have really serious consequences. I would say that I'm a very kind of protective person in normally anyway. People always joke that I'm always carrying around, even on my, like on my handbags, I have, I've always had hand sanitizers and things attached to me because as a singer, you can't get coughs and colds anyway. Um, so I'm not sure that I think that I've had a massive change in my approach. Definitely we, I guess with the children being a little more careful with them, but I think just like every, you know, I felt that we've needed to to be careful, but not necessarily even more careful because of my voice, but just because we want to protect our family. I know your voice is obviously hugely important to you. I remember you telling me a story that, is it before concerts where you you don't talk for a certain amount of time, do you, beforehand, even to your children who've got quite used to it. (laughs) But to other people, they must think that's quite strange. So what, what do you do? So I don't speak for 24 hours before a performance and the children, have just they they think it's funny so you know if I wake up in the morning or you know we see I go into Aaliyah's room and I just am not speaking and she'll say are you singing tonight (laughs) and then we just we act everything out so they actually feel like it's a massive game of charades or something and that they're like they think it's funny and they try to 
you know, try to get me to talk or, you know, my, my husband will say it's that's when I become like, you know, his dream wife because I can't argue back to anything he says. <laughs> you're there, but you're not actually saying anything at yeah, all. Yeah, you can get away with anything then. It must be frustrating <laughs> at certain times, I imagine. Or are you writing notes furiously? Do the washing up. <laughs> and how did you cope with homeschooling? Because your daughter's the same age as my daughter and five is is quite an age, isn't it? They know their own minds <laughs> at that stage. Yeah, I, I actually found that I really respect teachers. Yeah. <laughs> I like the patience. <laughs> I, I really tried and we did quite well for a, for a time. But yeah, it's uh, I think just after a certain amount of time of just being on your, your own and you being the voice, I just think they stopped hearing my voice. I think my voice became white noise. And Aww. it was really nice to be able to sort of have them then start a new school experience and kind of just get onto a new routine and different kind of discipline. And they've really sort of thrived since September of going back and doing, you know, starting a school experience because they both started new schools. Ah, because I was going to say, not only having a five-year-old, obviously, because Xander's two as well. So that yeah. must have been extremely busy if you're trying to homeschool and cope with a two-year-old at the same time. Yeah, no, it was totally full on. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we were, I feel like we were, everybody was in the same boat. So it was fine. We, we managed. <laughs> well, listen, we'll talk about your musical choices in a moment, but I wanted to talk to you about your, your childhood and when you first realised that your voice was something special, because I think a lot of little ones love singing, don't they? They sing left, right and centre and probably all think they've got the best voice in the world. So when, when for you did you realise, actually, I've got a voice that not many other people have got? I'm not sure that I realised that. I felt like I'd been singing for quite a few years before that happened. It was actually more other people telling my mum. I started singing when I was four. And I did my first sort of public performance at a school show. And it was me. And this kind of became the sort of the narrative of me and my parents is that it was always me asking if I could do something. And my parents being incredibly supportive, but just never pushing, which I am so thankful for today that that was their approach because I ran out of school and said, mommy, there's a, there's a show at school and I want to sing something and you need to teach me a song. And she taught me a song called going down the garden to eat worms. Oh. But I really learned to sing properly in, in the church choir in St. David's in Neath. And there were amazing things that I was able to access like choir girl of the year um which i got into the finals and then i won when i was 11 and that kind of thing was just sort of singing in church learning to read music the discipline of choral singing but also singing solos i was advised um you know go and get a proper singing teacher so my mum introduced me to um a, a lovely gentleman in swansea who that was the very first time I was introduced to classical music. I'd never heard classical music before other than church music. And that was the revelation. He said, you know, I'm hearing your voice. You've obviously been trained in a sort of very lyrical choral way. Let's try some classical music. And I fell in love with it. And so that's always been my kind of point at looking back and thinking it really is about how you're introduced to classical music. And for me, it came from a a place of passion and it clicked and I never really looked back. That's brilliant. So you weren't necessarily, it wasn't like your parents were playing classical music. They would play different types of music. So it wasn't until later that you came across it. Yeah. So my, my parents played, you know, sort of pop music. My dad was 
quite a lot older than my mum. So he was a different generation. He listened to more sort of, of the big voices like, you know, Shirley Bassey or, you know, Frank Sinatra or that kind of stuff. And so no, no classical music. I didn't see an orchestra, any of that stuff until I started having the classical training. And, um, and then it was just sort of, you know, it was a, I was on a sort of road of discovery through finding music through him, you know, sort of started listening to other artists and it really all came from there. But I then decided to audition for the Royal Academy of Music. And I honestly don't believe it was until I, I got a place there that I ever took my singing seriously in that I always knew that I loved it. It was the thing that made me the most happy, but it was really, you know, there's no chance I can do this as a job because nobody back in Neath was involved in anything to do with music or arts. That felt like too far away as a dream. So it was more just, you know, well, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to keep singing. I don't know how I'm going to do that. When I got into the Royal Academy, I thought, okay, this is the chance that I can work hard and maybe I can get into an opera chorus one day. And that was the dream. And then look at you now, which you must look back and think, Wow, if you'd have had even an inkling at that age what you would go on to do, do you think you would have believed it? Not a clue. You know, I never dreamt this would happen. Like this is so exceeded what I thought was ever possible. And I guess I credit that to my mum, you know, just being very down to earth. When I got my record contract, I didn't tell anybody for six months, you know, Did my you mum came, no, mum came with me to sign the deal and we didn't tell anybody for six months because my mum kept saying, well, Catherine, things like this don't happen to people from Neath. And we felt like it was going to get taken away because it just happened so quickly. So I think with every album, I've always taken it like, well, this could be the last album I make. So I need to make it the best that I can and it could all go away tomorrow. So I think that my mum has just instilled that kind of, you know, this is amazing, but, you know, keep your feet on the ground. And she even made me keep my, I was teaching when I, um, when I actually got my record contract, I was a teacher teaching singing at some high schools in and around London. And um, I kept teaching right up until <laughs> I think nearly the second album came out because mum said- but Just in case. <laughs> yeah, mum was like, well, you've got to have a backing plan. What if the singing lark doesn't work out? <laughs> I love it. Ever practical. Good advice yes. from your mum yeah. there. Yeah. And when you look at sort of music that you listen to now, what role does that play in your life? Do you Would you sit down and listen to- a selection of music or, or how does that work when you're at home? I think music is just in so many different, you know, aspects of, of life. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of singing that goes on in our house and practicing and, and things like that. Despite my children telling me, no, no singing, mummy. <laughs> Not today. It's too loud. <laughs> it's too loud, mummy. Um, so I often get told off here, but I think it's, you know, uh, I, music for exercise. My husband and I love cooking. So we'll always have music on as kind of like a transition into adult time. We love a dance party in our house and we try to encourage the children to listen to lots of different genres. So we'll have a dance party where we'll like listen to, you know, reggae or disco or rock or whatever it is, and we'll just get them dancing around. So yeah, it, I think it's just, it's probably the, a change in mood It is when we turn for music to try and create that for us here. And is there any ever sort of a fight over what music you're going to listen to? I mean, I sort of seem to be 
constantly being told that I need to have uh, either the soundtrack to the trolls on or <laughs> Little Mix or something else. Um, My that, daughter very much wants to control the musical choices in the house. Oh, do you know what? Aaliyah is not there yet. She's actually being, she's quite happy to be sort of led by daddy on what he's introducing her to. But I think my husband um, is always just at a loss when he talks to me about music because, you know, I spent most of my childhood focused on classical and choral music. Um, So when he'll say to me, you know, he'll play me, you know, iconic piece of rock music and he'll say, you don't know who this is? (laughs) I'll be like, haven't got a clue who's the who I don't know <laughs> he's he's always quite shocked he's you're a musician by profession you don't know who this band is <laughs> no. and you got to work together didn't you in a film what was that like yeah we did um lovely actually to kind of get to collaborate on things together because I really I really do enjoy that in that I think we work quite well together so Andrew was um directing a movie called Minamata with Bill Nye, Johnny Depp, and it's a true story about uh, a fishing village in Japan that was being poisoned by methylmercury. And as a result, sort of for decades, children were being born with defects um, and uh, with birth defects. And and it's an amazing story about sort of standing up for people and coming together and, you know, representing the, the little person who can't speak for themselves kind of thing. And it's amazing. And so he asked me if I would get involved. I was sort of like, I've done a bit of acting, but to be put in a scene with Johnny Depp and Bill Knight is talk about being thrown in at the deep end. But I, uh, I said, okay, I'll do it. But these, these are the only few days of your life where you actually get to boss me oh. around. <laughs> I also got to do the music, which was lovely. So I co-wrote the title track with uh, an amazing lady called Skylar Gray, who's Eminem's right-hand woman. And that was kind of, you know, two very different genres coming together, but I thoroughly enjoyed working with her. And then I sang on the soundtrack, uh, which was written by Ryuchi Sakamoto. And that was just like an absolute dream come true to get to go into his studio and see his process and sort of be the voice of he saw it as mother nature so i was representing the voice of of nature within the film brilliant and do you think you would you do more of acting then i mean i know you've done some of it you're in doctor who as well weren't you? you've done some of it in the past is it something that you think yeah i've got the bug for it now i can see myself doing more of it i think i would do more of it but i think it has to be what i you know it's something that i feel very passionately about i feel like i don't have time to do all of the music that i want to do and so it's about kind of if it was a musical film or a subject matter that I, you know, really found like an important story to tell, then yeah, I, I've I had my eyes open to the experience with Minamata and I, I, I really enjoyed it. And and also I would love to work with my husband again. So I think, you know, we'll see. <laughs> That's very brave of you, I have to say. <laughs> well, you know, at the same time, he when he made this movie, he went off to, to live in Serbia for six months when I had a little five month old at home and so I sort of thought well if I don't go do the film I I won't get to see him ever again (laughs) so so there we go it was a chance for us to spend some time together as well let's talk about your musical choices now because I'm going to ask you for your last your past and your blast so let's start off with your last so this is the latest piece of classical music that you've been enjoying listening to which one have you gone for for this I have gone for it's a little early but um, the dance of the sugar plum fairy from the Nutcracker. (laughs) 
We actually have been working on a Christmas project in the last few weeks. So kind of taking the idea further on from the Facebook concerts, thinking about people who may not feel like they can, you know, venture out to a Christmas concert or a carol service, whether these things will even be on this year, we don't know. So actually had the idea to sort of take that inspiration and create the ultimate Christmas experience uh, which we filmed at the Royal Albert Hall and it's going to be going to cinemas in December um, and of course for me I think every year since I've had children I've taken my children to the Nutcracker as a sort of the must-do Christmas thing for us so we even got to have the Sugar Plum Fairy within <gasps> our, our concert um, and Aww. so my daughter got to meet her and we so we've been playing that quite a lot at the moment in our house. <laughs> I can imagine and it is such an amazing piece of music as soon as you hear those first few notes isn't it it's so atmospheric and so magical I think that's the thing it's magical and I think that you know when you're looking to inspire children into classical music and it's not even a conversation I've, I've just tried to show my children that there's so many pieces of music that are really child friendly and they think it's totally magical and and I think that you know I, I put that on and they start dancing around so it's sort of definitely one of those ones which I think they will come to realise that they actually know so much about classical music without realising it as they get older. The thing I think is funny is how they sort of take pleasure in in even straightforward things. My daughter, if I say we're going to the supermarket, she's like, yay, we're going to the supermarket. And for most people, it's a chore thinking, oh, I've got to go to the supermarket. But for some strange reason, they, they just kind of remind you, I guess, of enjoying some of the simple pleasures in life, don't they? Let's move on to your past, which is the piece of music from your life that's meant a lot to you. What what have you picked for that one? I have picked an aria called Una Voce Poco Fa from The Barber of Seville by Rossini. I remember hearing this aria sung by Maria Callas and just be absolutely gobsmacked that somebody could do this with their voice. All of the vocal gym, it's like six minutes of vocal gymnastics. Um, And just being so inspired thinking, I want to do that one day. I want to be able to sing all of those runs and, and, you know, sort of all of this amazing kind of showcasing of her technical skills. I want to be able to do that. And um, it really inspired me to work harder um, to to be able to sing that kind of stuff. Um, I went on to sing that in my final recital at the Royal Academy of Music. And it's, you know, it's it just, for as a mezzo, I feel it's like the sort of the ultimate showcase piece. And it, you know, it, 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 it takes a lot and, and it's, and it's, it was a challenge to learn it, but it was, it so inspired me to work hard with my singing. And for me, nobody sings it like Maria Callas It's just the most gorgeous. I put it on and I'll immediately, you know, get goosebumps from hearing her sing it. Oh, well, I watched a performance because you sung it at the Classical Brit Awards back in 2009. I mean, how tricky is it to sing? Because listening to it, like you say, you can you can hear the technical ability that has to go into making that work. Is it is it crazy difficult to sing? It's uh, I think it's incredibly it's incredibly hard to sing. Um, You know, it it just requires a lot of stamina and and, you know, I mean, 
nobody will sing it like Maria Callas. Um, but it is just, it's, but it's also, you know, it's also fun. It's a very fun piece. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it it's gorgeous. And it, it, as I said, was a massive inspiration. I think I discovered it around um, 14, 14, 15 and thought, ah, oh, right. Okay. I want, I want to do that. I want to be able to sing that one day. But yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a, it's a workout. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, you performed it magnificently. I don't know how you were feeling beforehand. Do you, do you have some pieces that beforehand you're thinking, oh, um, I'm worried about this bit or, you know, do you still get nervous now sometimes when you do performances? I'm generally quite calm. I am thankful that I'm not a nervous performer because I think that that sort of must be quite hard if every night you really wind yourself up. And I'm, I normally am about, I walk out into the stage and I'm just really happy to be there. So I'm sort of just like this. Um, if it's new music that I haven't performed yet, if it's um, sort of a big national event or something like that, then I definitely get those good nerves. But I try, I, as a singer, as a young singer, I, I, I definitely used to get nerves that got the better of me. And so um, I, I think, Luckily, I've been able to find a way to sort of just mentally get over that. Um, I actually credit the, the the main one to when I first sang after signing my record contract. Um, the first thing Decker asked me to do was to go and sing at the Wales-England um, rugby match in the Millennium Stadium. So, you know, I literally went from being a school teacher. <laughs> no, no, I know, a school teacher. <laughs> to singing in front of 74,000 people and then millions at home that were watching on the BBC. And it literally, I thought I was gonna, you know, I couldn't sleep the night before. I was so, so nervous. I could hardly speak. And then when I got out there, I just thought, everybody wants you to do well. And like, this is, this is the dream and you're getting to do this. Like, don't, don't waste it by worrying, enjoy it. And that really switched something in my brain. Um, and so I sort of accredit, I think they were singing Tom Jones' Delilah as I walked out. So that always reminds me of Aww. that. <laughs> because presumably as a singer, if you've got any hint of nerves, is that, is that's always gonna appear in your voice, isn't it? I guess that would be the first way that you would hear it. So even if you're feeling a little bit nervous, you've just kind of got to, to squash it all down. When you're nervous, everything, uh, you know, tightens up. So your vocal cords, your body, your posture, everything, you, you, you know, you breathe shallowly and you, you're not going to sort of make the most of your lung capacity. And it's not good. Nerves are not good. I mean, a little bit of a little bit of adrenaline is good, but not sort of proper nerves. So that's actually why as, um, as a pregnant lady, you sing really, really well, because you've got, um, you've got the, uh, the hormone that relaxes the muscles going through your blood. And that actually oh. makes everything really nice and relaxed and you sing even better when you're pregnant. So that just goes to prove that like nerves are quite <laughs> negative. And I always say to young singers, just, you should always imagine that the audience are there because they want to hear you and they want you to do well. And there's nobody wishing you, wishing you to make a mistake or wishing you to go wrong. So just enjoy that there's positivity in the room and people just want you to do well. Oh, well, it's a good message. And you, I mean, you've performed in front of, you're saying there about, you know, however many people, but you performed in front of millions, you've performed in front of the royal family. How is it when you look out and the queen is watching you sing. Do moments like that make you yeah. feel, oh, hold on a second. <laughs> I actually think that that's probably the most nerve wracking. I sang 
one New Year's Eve at the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, and there were a million people in the street um, in front of the stage. That was actually surprisingly less nerve wracking than singing in front of 12 people, which included the Queen in a in a in a front room <laughs> at, at an event recently, um, because when you can see everybody's faces and it's mm. just, you know, everybody's just there, that's I find that more nerve wracking than when it's just a sea of people. But especially when one of them is the Queen as well. Yeah, because you feel a certain pressure that you really have to be at your absolute best and i'm a massive fan of of uh, of her majesty so that always makes you feel very nervous <laughs> i wish i was calmer around um, her but i'm not <laughs> <laughs> but i think i think everyone's the same though aren't they you know that's there's some sort of you know she's just so awesome yeah. isn't she that whenever you're in her vicinity that that you know she just has that effect on people i think um have you had a time when things haven't gone well or you know I don't know if something's gone wrong in something that you've been singing every time I see you it's it's absolutely flawless it's you know it's it's magnificent and I'm just so in awe of the fact that it seems like nothing ever goes oh, wrong is that plenty true? goes wrong <laughs> plenty goes wrong um I always sort of think that with um you know with being a singer and being uh, it, you know in the in the concerts it's sometimes like sort of being a, a swan and you're trying trying to put out a you know a calm uh, exterior and actually underneath the dress I'm probably peddling <laughs> trying <laughs> trying to uh, not make any mistakes or dealing with you know with there over the years there have been things you know sometimes I, I remember after having my children you know I would get um, complete memory loss and forget words and um, you know that's really hard when you're singing in multiple languages and you just did you get that when you when you had your daughter did you ever did you yeah, get where you couldn't, I did, you I couldn't mean, remember things yeah I well I still have it now and I kind of blame it on that I think it does something to your brain definitely it? does but yeah I had anyway. baby brain and within five weeks of you know Zandra was back at um, performing and just thinking like so what do you do when that happens just hum a bit. No, I try. I, I, make up, I make up my own words. <laughs> and hope nobody notices. Yeah, or sing. Or turn yeah, around. Or if it's in another language, then sometimes you can get away with it. <laughs> no, I mean, I think the thing is to keep to keep going and to keep, but these things happen. And, um, you know, there are all, there are from, from uh, wardrobe malfunctions to tech, technology stuff sound issues me forgetting my words there's loads of stuff that goes wrong but I think um I've always just tried to if that happens in a in a live situation is is to laugh and I usually tell the audience that something's gone wrong and we all have a bit of a laugh about it <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that well it's always best isn't it and I think you know people appreciate that they know that everyone's human one thing I wanted to talk to you about actually was was sort of, you know, in, in the media and how you get portrayed. And, and at one point they were sort of almost portraying you as this kind of diva, this opera singer, this, you know, making demands left, right and centre. And, you know, I know you, you're always so sweet and lovely. We're having a chat now and, and you're completely down to earth. Is it is it frustrating? I mean, you're about to tell me that in secret you are actually making all these demands, aren't you? But, but how frustrating is it sometimes when things like that happen that are kind of out of your control and, and a certain image is being portrayed of you? I think it comes with a territory. Um, I wish it didn't, but it. I think it does. And I think it comes with being a female and being in the classical world. I think some, I think some people kind of 
like to think that we behave in this way. I think sometimes it adds a bit of drama, but it's hard when you read stuff that, you know, just categorically isn't true. And I think I've had to develop a thicker skin for it. My nature is actually, I am quite sensitive. So um, I, I remember when it first started happening, just being quite, yeah, just sort of not really knowing how to, how to handle it. But um, I think that, you know, I have been doing this now for 17 years or something like that. You learn to, you just learn to cope with it and to understand it and to not take, not read stuff, not take stuff seriously. You know, I, I think that that has actually been one of the positive, another of the many positive things that has come with having children is it, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. You know, it's sort of like, um, if it is there, it, it, there's way more, uh, a list of important things that I need to focus my energy on in a day. And so I don't really, I don't really take it on in the same way. Um, but having, having said that, I, I don't, I think there was a, f a phase when it happened a lot and it doesn't seem to happen so much now, but, um, I know who I am. I think my family and friends know who I am. And, and I think that you can only judge somebody on how they are when you meet them. So, you know, that's my attitude to meeting other people who, you know, you may think, you know, but I, I meet them and I take them on how they were with me. Um, and that's all I can ask people to do. And when it comes to fame, but do your children sort of know how well known you are? What, what do they think about that kind of life or don't they know? No, they don't know. I don't know. I just, I think our home life is quite normal in that we, you know, all my friends are friends from school, from back home in Wales. I'm the only one who does this, works in this kind of field. So my children, I mean, they make me laugh all the time. You know, they sort of say, who's Catherine Jenkins? <laughs> Who, who is, this Catherine, who is Jenkins? Catherine Jenkins? <laughs> and they, you know, they sort of just think that mummy sings. I was, I, my daughter was being, you know, asked some questions for school and I needed to, you know, help her with the answer. So I said, you know, um, what, what does mummy, does mummy work? And she, Aaliyah said, no. And I said, <laughs> and I said, no, mummy does work. And she said, no. And I said, well, what do you think mummy does when, when mummy goes out? And I say, I'm going, mummy sings songs. And I just thought, well, actually that's Aww. really lovely. If that's what she thinks I do is just sing songs, then that's yeah. a, a really lovely way of putting it. I mean, they have funny experiences. You just pop out and sing a few songs. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, we are quite protective of them. So we um, we don't take them on, you know, sort of out in the in the public eye to events and stuff. I, I, I think that they need to sort of have their privacy um, respected until they're old enough to understand it because they don't understand it now um but then they also live in a, what i think is just quite a funny world you know we we have the sense of normality but then when my husband was making the film with johnny depp you know my daughter was it was here in london and she was waiting for daddy to facetime her as he did every every dinner time um and one day um you know captain jack sparrow popped up on the on the face and um Aaliyah being i think she was th three or four at the time she's never seen pirates of the caribbean she was absolutely terrified Aww. she was terrified oh, no. and she just she just <laughs> slipped down the chair away she was like who is this strange yeah, man yeah. and then and then she's like Mummy, Daddy's friend called me, you know, the pirate. 
<laughs> so um, you know, she'll never she'll she'll laugh about that when she's older. <laughs> oh, and you can tell her, yeah, well, that she actually had a conversation with she's Johnny probably Depp. one of the first, you know, only females who actually said, "No, I don't really want to talk to you." <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love that story. It's brilliant. Let's come on to your last choice here for your musical choices, your blast. So what's the song that you'd blast out? This can be any type of music. What's the one that you would go for? This is probably not uh, an expected choice, but I would actually play uh, <laughs> Sister Sledge, We Are Family, because it's the Jenkins oh. family anthem. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, and just, you know, wherever we are in the world, and I think even, you know, more so now with us all being sort of in different um, places and not being able to see each other it's the one song that we you know always play in a family party um, when we get together um, I've got a really great memory of the very first time I won a, a classical Brit award and my mum planned a bus trip up from Nice with all of the aunties and uncles and people Aww. from church they all came up on a bus um, and I snuck them into the after party that um, Decker had put on. And I remember just being sort of like, you know, everybody was so excited and we were all scattered all over the party. And we, a family came on and it was like the taffia just descended on the dance floor. And my mum and my mum was like dancing with my Brit Award, like we are family. <laughs> so, you know, I, I would have to include that really. <laughs> So that's the one that would be guaranteed to get you on the dance yes, floor. Yes, for sure. And and all, already my, you know, I've passed this on to Aaliyah and, and it's on her request list always. <laughs> Brilliant. So if you're kind of at home and you want one that's going to put a spring in your step and a smile on your face, is this the one that definitely. would... That would make an appearance. Yes, definitely. <laughs> oh, I love that. And your family must be must be super proud, I imagine. What What does your mum make of how everything has gone for you because you know I guess from her seeing you starting singing as a four-year-old watching you throughout that journey obviously wanting you to to plan things carefully in respect of how it was going to go she must look at how things are now and it you know it must, it's an incredible achievement. My, my mum is just so um you know she's so down to earth she's a very strong Welsh woman and um I mean, yes, I, 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 you know, I hope that she's proud, but she's really good at keeping it all kind of grounded. And I think, you know, there's, there's still a bit of a joke of like, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> um, she's, you know, she's been brilliant at, you know, taking her with me on tours and kind of, you know, having her there for company. And she's, she's great at kind of being independent and you know I'll go off to a rehearsal and she'll go off and explore and she's always she's always had such an enthusiasm for the things that are happening but yeah like I said just very also just very down to earth and she's never got carried away with it um you know my one of my favorite quotes from my mum is I I called her to say mum I'm singing at the Albert Hall next weekend if you want to come up should I should I put some tickets for you and she said no, love, I think I've seen you enough times at the Royal Albert Hall. Now I've got a tennis match. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless her. Yeah. That is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. <laughs> it's true. That's exactly. It's just the Royal Albert no. Hall. I've seen it all before. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love her. That is brilliant. So that kind of keeps you grounded yes. then, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it keeps, I think it's just really important for sort of, you know, 
there's two sides of it, always keeping it interesting. Um, so, you know, if I say to my mum, oh, I'm going on, you know, I remember when I was going, when I went on Parkinson or Jonathan Ross or anything like that, she'd be really excited and she's like, oh, can I come? Um, and then, but then also, you know, keeping it real and keeping it sort of honest and, and um, you know, if I go back home for Christmas, like, no, you're loading the dishwasher. Don't, don't you think you're special? <laughs> <laughs> I know that you reached a bit of a milestone when it came to age <laughs> this did. year, didn't you? I did. If you don't mind me mentioning that, 40. Um, not that you look it at all, because you're <laughs> phenomenal it. looking. Um, do, what did that feel like? Do you feel like you, you feel different now that you've hit that age? Was it a bit one of those ones that you were dreading or did you just take it in your stride and think, oh, well, age is just a number? I felt actually fine about it. Um, I My mum told me that she had a meltdown when she turned 40. Um, not a meltdown, but I think she was just sort of like, oh, it's the end of uh, of the thing. I am actually was good with it. I had my birthday in lockdown, so it would have been nice to have had a family occasion where I could have seen everybody. So that was a little bit um, strange, but we really made the most of it anyway. But I think in terms of the way I looked at it was if I could go back and ask the 15 year old version of myself and say, you know, where do you want to be when you're 40? What, what we have in terms of my <laughs> husband, I adore, um, children I'm besotted with I get to sing for my job. I mean, that's like, I, I'm, if this is 40, like I'm thrilled with 40. So, um, it was, it's a way, um, better than I would have dreamt of as a 15 year old. So I think, given that information, um, I welcomed it. <laughs> you have sung with, you know, so many amazing people from Andrea Bocelli right through to Kylie, I know. Uh, who is there left that you, that's on your wish list of people that you'd still love to perform with, do you think? Oh gosh. Um, have you done them all? No, it's not that I've done them all, but I do feel really <laughs> lucky that I've got to sing with so many of the kind of bucket list people um, that I've admired, especially, you know, when you're at the Royal Academy and you, um, part of the thing is to go to the library and listen to the greats and to learn from them. Um, and then when you get to go and sing with them, like Placido Domingo and Jose Carreras and Bryn, um, Dame Kiri, you know, all of these people I I loved listening to and then you sort of are standing next to them. It's quite overwhelming. Um, and I think that, uh, gosh, I always think it'd be really interesting to mix, you know, other genres um, and just do something completely unexpected. Um, I, I, I recently sang on the on the Christmas show with um, Marisha Wallace, who's got this amazing kind of like um, soulful gospel voice that I just, you know, that our two voices together was just so, it was so thrilling for me to be able to sing with that kind of voice. I really enjoyed it. So I think it's kind of something um different but I don't know I think uh kind of open to whatever whoever comes along yeah I mean I think it's always just having an open mind and just thinking wow I mean I love Adele's voice um Michael Buble somebody like that um but who knows maybe it'll be a rapper <laughs> yes that's a good idea I keep rap for my karaoke sessions <laughs> <laughs> 
Brilliant. I'm going to take you out for karaoke soon in that case. As soon as, as, soon as all this craziness is over, yeah. we'll go out and do a karaoke night. I look forward to it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Remind you. Yes, absolutely. Catherine, thank you so much. It's been such a thrill to talk to you today. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. Lovely as always. Thank I look forward you. to that karaoke night soon. <laughs> It was fabulous to speak with Catherine. She's such a phenomenal singer. Come to think of it, I'm not sure singing alongside her on a karaoke night is such a good idea after all. That comparison's never going to go well, is it? Well, I have loved hearing all my guests' favourite pieces of music over the season, from tracks that have changed their lives to ones that make them get up on the dance floor. This week, as my musical recommendation, I'm listening to Debussy's Claire de Lune from my Mindful Moments playlist. It's a selection of pieces I've put together for a bit of musical escapism. I absolutely love this piece as it's such a gentle, beautiful melody that just takes you to another place. It's well worth a listen. If you want to hear any of the music mentioned today, it's all available at the Companion playlist. Take a look at the link in the show notes. And if you like what you've heard in this episode, please share with a friend and please leave a review. It would be great if you could, as it helps the show to be discovered by new listeners. So a big thank you in advance. This podcast is produced by Renee Richardson with B. Duncan and exec produced by Chloe Murphy at Sony Classical. I'll be back soon with a new season of Last Past and Blast. A huge thank you for all the supports and bye for now.